the hybrid practice is really about being both in-person and remote. I would say between the three different practice models, an all-in-person, an all-remote, and a mix of the two, hybrid is actually the hardest to do. But I also think these tools really build a resilient and agile practice. So whether or not you are working in a hybrid model, whether or not you're all remote, or whether or not you are in physical in person, a lot of what we will be covering today really helps build a more agile and adaptable and resilient practice. So one of the things that I want to emphasize is that if coming out of the pandemic, all your firm is talking about is how many days you're going to be in person in the office versus how many days you're going to allow people to work from home or work remotely. I feel like we're missing out of 95% of the conversation we had, we need to be having around what does that mean to the changes in operations, processes, and policies that we have around people and how we work and how we do and execute work. Welcome everyone to Section Cut, our first ever conference dedicated to the stories of leaders who are innovating on practice operations. Hi everyone, welcome back after a quick five minutes. I'm so excited for this next session. Up next, right now we have my very good friend Evelyn Lee from Slack and Practice of Architecture for her workshop building and running a hybrid practice. Let's welcome Evelyn to the stage. Hi. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Hi, Emma. Thank you for joining. Yeah, thanks for being here with us. I'm so excited for this talk, so I will let you take it away. Okay. I realize this is for small firms. I also know that I'm going to be throwing a lot of information at you. So we are talking about running and building a hybrid practice. And I also want to preface this by saying a lot of the stuff that I'm going to be asking of you is things that need to be developed using non-billable hours. So it may be overwhelming, and I don't think any one firm necessarily needs to do all of these things, but these are best practices that I've been compiling for over 10 years as a workplace strategist, but in particularly more recently, just as with my work at Slack Technologies. So if we can get my presentation back up, perfect. Thanks. Uh, so first of all, thank you for being here. If you want to drop in chat just how big you are or how big your firm is and where you're from, I love to see people get a little bit more interaction on there. So please do that. A little bit about myself. My name is Evelyn Lee. I am the founder of Practice of Architecture. I also work at Slack Technologies. I was, prior to Slack and going in-house, I was a workplace consultant, helping organizations in a variety of different verticals become more innovative, become more collaborative, help them move from all office situations to hoteling situations, and managing all the change management operations and policies and processes that are around that. And today we're talking about the hybrid practice. The hybrid practice is really about um, being both in-person and remote. I would say between the three different practice models, an all-in-person, an all-remote, and a mix of the two, hybrid is actually the hardest to do. But I also think these tools really build a resilient and agile practice. So whether or not you are working in a hybrid model, whether or not you're all-remote, 
or whether or not you are in physical in person, a lot of the, what we will be covering today really helps build a more agile and adaptable and resilient practice. So one of the things that I want to emphasize is that if Coming out of the pandemic, all your firm is talking about is how many days you're going to be in person in the office versus how many days you're going to allow people to work from home or work remotely. I feel like we're missing out of 95% of the conversation we had, we need to be having around what does that mean to the changes in operations, processes, and policies that we have around people and how we work and how we do and execute work. We cover at the Practice of Architecture, we've been deep diving into these six specific areas of running and building a successful hybrid practice. Culture, I'm so glad culture has come up so many times, and we'll do a little deep dive into each of these. People and policies, I don't know if you guys are listening to Marjan at all, but really just how do you create people systems that build trust in a hybrid workplace, looking at changes to team management and productivity, what does that mean to where you should be keeping and storing files, looking at security and support, uh, what type of tools do you need to be successful in hybrid practice, and it's really a tool stack. We'll talk a little bit about that, and then how to be a better hybrid employee. Going to breeze through these slides and and uh, Joanne, you're going to have to keep me on time here. So I know this is a really short session, but culture. So I'm not going to, I'm going to try to go through this a little bit faster because thankfully culture has been coming up so much. But here's a few statistics. So 70% of professionals in the U.S. would not work for a company with an intolerable workplace culture. And this is what I feel architects tend to do. And I would love anyone to challenge me and tell me otherwise, but I feel like culture in, our, in most architecture firms, especially small and medium-sized firms, tend to develop organically. The firm leaders usually know what type of culture they don't want to have based on where they've worked. And that the mission, vision, and values only tend to appear like on the website or in the employee handbook, and they don't live into them. Not to the extent that Rios lived into theirs. And then we make culture all about events. Like as soon as we talk about culture, we really talk about, you know, how we are celebrating birthdays. But culture really needs to ultimately drive the business. Hey, Matt, 70 people in Los Angeles. So here's what I think we should be doing. What we really should be doing is creating a values-based culture. And then one that we live into, one that your employees were a part of really creating. And then actually, we need to talk about making necessary adjustments. So a lot of change has happened in the world. A lot of conversations have come up around equity, diversity, and inclusion. And a lot of firms have even made statements around those but they haven't necessarily gone back and we looked at their values and decide you know, whether or not their values need to change and adapt. So a little bit about Culture 500. This is just a study when you're looking at the importance of culture. It's done in combination with Glassdoor and MIT Sloan, which is the business school there. And they've researched the cultures of over 500 of the largest companies in the United States. That's why it's called Culture 500. And they've consistently found year over year that corporate culture and specifically directly affects productivity, creativity, value, and growth. So in this time, one of the things that we really should be doing is going back and looking at culture. So here are some tactics to look at culture. So revisit your firm's why, your mission and vision, re-engage the entire firm in value development. Rios came up with joy. So I work at Slack full-time, craftsmanship and playfulness as two of our six values. Engage in an annual employee survey. So what I'm also finding is that a lot of what 
the leadership in firms understand culture to be is very different from what middle managers or even your individual contributors feel the culture is in the firm. So how do you understand the strata of everybody's touch points, including ENPS? And by the way, I will be at the Practice of Architecture booth if you have any questions about any of this, but include an employee net promoter scores number in that survey with the goal of moving that number to the right or getting more people to be really excited about being at the firm. And then instead of having a culture committee that talks about events, really create a culture committee that talks about how do we bring everybody on the same page relative to culture. And then revisit often. So rinse, wash, and repeat. So this is just a survey that shows that if you don't kind of continually adapt your culture over time, your culture will in fact lag. So people and policies. So this is what we, again, I think we intend to do. So we inherit people processes rather than we create new ones. So I have been completely guilty of this. I switched firms. I literally borrowed a job description from an old firm, made some few tweaks, put in a new firm name and reposted that. And then we create these systems where our lack in faith of the ability to get things done is really dependent upon our our poor people systems. So for instance, I was in a social media channel and somebody was complaining that their new intern that they hired said they could do Revit, but they couldn't do Revit. And now they're stuck with this person that they need to train and they really just needed to somebody to jump in on productivity. If it's so important that a person needs to know Revit coming into the firm, then do a skills test as part of the hiring process. So then that you know from day one, they have all the skills that you need them to have to do the work they need to do immediately. So how do you build in these people processes to build trust, to allow for greater productivity, especially if you're working with a workforce that is both in-person and remote? So here's an interesting statistics too. So 64, this was taken pre-pandemic in January of 2020. And here's the more scary statistic. And I think a lot of us are feeling this crunch right now. There's this notion of the great resignation that's happening. And individuals such as myself have actually left architecture for tech. So now we are competing with other industries for talent. So here's what we should do. So we need to build out a comprehensive people framework, one that supports intentionally every individual's career at your firm, and then use that people framework to build trust in your firm. And part of that is creating what I call a year-long onboarding process. So if you think about onboarding for a new employee, if I think about my experiences working at an architecture firm, my onboarding process, my orientation process is maybe at best one day, maybe a week of like meetings, meeting different people in the firm. But really, And tech firms do this a lot. They essentially create an entire syllabus of what you should expect and the skills you should know and how they would like to see you progress over the course of the year. And by doing that, you actually are more likely to retain people in the long run. You'll also find that people that have a successful onboarding program have, at the end of their first year, that individual is 55% more productive than somebody that doesn't have a successful onboarding program. So here, when I talk about a people framework, it means kind of looking at the entire career journey of an employee. So redesign how you hire, 
build in those skill studies if you need to make onboarding a one-year journey, support lifelong learning and development, even if that's teach, train the trainer and teaching one another in the firm, develop that in. Another thing that like needs greater transparency as we move to hybrid model is really looking at developing a 360-degree review process and then establish career paths. And this can even happen at the smaller firms. Just make sure that you are having conversations outside of the annual review, talking about where people would like to grow and how your firm can support their growth. And then one of the things that I also want to throw in here is that 70% of candidates get turned off by someone else's bad experience. So I know we are probably receiving a lot of resumes or inquiries right now, even if you could set up some type of automated response or just get used to sending a response, have a copy, cut and paste thing saying, thank you for reviewing our resume. We don't think you're going to be a good candidate for us at your firm this time. at this time. That can go a long way. For them saying, you know, at least at least I heard back from this firm, I will try to apply there again versus and it'll resonate with their peers. I see a lot of familiar faces in here. We are a relatively small profession. So just treat everyone really well. Team management and productivity. So this is kind of a big concern for me as we are emerging from the pandemic. What we had tend to do and what architects have always done after every recession is go right back to the way we were, we were working. And again, I want to reiterate here, if the only conversations that we are having post-pandemic about how we are merging and how we are working is really how many days a week that we're coming in, then we're missing the greater opportunity to really talk about how are we creating more flexible, more agile, more adaptable, more asynchronous work styles and project management styles or project management solutions in our firm to allow people to have more flexible work styles. So we really, historically, we don't take time for processes. And right now it's going to be really important for us to take time to re-examine our processes. So one of the things that we should do even if you are hybrid, even if you're not totally remote, is if you are truly building in a flexible work schedule, unless that team is coming together intentionally in person all at the same time, which actually, if you think about it, will not happen unless it's an intentional meeting. The more flexibility you build in, the less likely you'll have people all in the same place at the same time. It really means that you actually have to act as if you're all entirely remote, even though you may be running a hybrid practice of both in office and virtually. So that means there's always a place to for anyone to kind of catch up no matter when they're tuning in on the project. So this is kind of what we need to do. So when you think about and this, again, goes to creating new ways of working, right? A new program for a building usually calls for time, some type of new design, a new paradigm of working, going to more flexible or remote, really cre needs to create new operations and processes and approaches to business and how you work and how you do projects. So, again, going back to creating a digital headquarters, Another thing that I'll talk about and I'll revisit at the end of the presentation is that it really needs to be a tech stack. I don't know. I work at Slack, I will tell you, and we use Slack for project communications. We use Zoom for meetings. We use Mural 
Some architecture firms use Miro. I'm sorry that those names are t- so familiar. I wish one of them would change their names. But we use that as a collaborative kind of whiteboard situation. So know that when you create a digital headquarters that you're probably going to necess- need to be investing in a tech stack. And there's not going to be a one-size-fits-all solution. And you need to come up with operations and processes and policies about how everyone engages in that stack. Here are some other tips, and I have a lot more tips. Feel free to DM me, to email me, to find me over in my booth during coffee break. But here are some tips regarding team management. So defaulting to asynchronous work, understand what you actually need to do all together in one place, or what can you do, you know, let people do on their schedule at their own time, as long as they meet deadlines. Only hold meetings that matter. I think all of us, you know, thank you for joining us today at this conference, but a lot of us are overrun with Zoom meetings. So really begin to audit your meetings and understand what can happen in the digital headquarters and what needs to really take place on Zoom or in person. Create bursty team time. So my team works very asynchronously, but from, for instance, one to three every day, we say we're going to be on Slack and we are going to be responsive. So between one to three, if I send a question out to my team member, I will get a medium response. The rest of the day, we don't anticipate like if it takes eight hours to get back to you, that's fine. But like really schedule in what those teams are. Also make time for deep work. On the other flip side of scheduling bursty time in, make time for deep work. Also schedule in deep focus time on your calendar. It gets hard if you're dealing with client meetings. So my team allows us allows everyone on the team to just block off two hours a week of deep work. And we know that that person like doesn't want meetings to occur. It helps with switching costs, the costs incurred from switching to going to meetings and also just the ability to get deep work done. And then there's a few more tips in there, but I think I need to keep running. So I'm going to keep going. So this is just a thing to consider, especially when we're talking about collaborating back in the office. We are naturally bursty. We are not. We do not collaborate 100% of the time, all the time. So create meaningful times to bring people together. There is a study that was done by McKenzie with three group of individuals or three groups. And the first group, they all were all given the same problem set. The first group, they said, work independently and then like come together when you like at a few times and see how long they progress. The second group, they were told to sit in the same room and collaborate all together. And the third group was supposed to be, was told to be meaningful about working independently and coming together. So the first group, they found that they had really innovative ideas, but because they didn't come together enough, they didn't move forward on any of those innovative ideas. The second group, had a lot less innovation because they were collaborating together all the time, but they progressed the less innovative idea further. And the third group had a nice mixture of the three. They had innovative ideas that they were able to progress because they came together meaningful moments throughout the exercise. Yes, Matt, Miro and Mural. So very similar in name, but both great collaboration tools. So security and support, what we tend to do is, and I found this to be true of both small and medium-sized firms, is to, that we create these physical networks housed in offices and we underinvest in technology. So what I recommend is, first of all, is to move everything to the cloud. And if you are worried about 
security, I would just say that anytime that you and go to your bank site and enter a password to enter your get your bank account information, your financial history is probably all on the cloud anyways. And if you've ever been to the doctor's office and they are entering your medical record into a computer, it's most likely not even on a physical server on site. It's mostly already in the cloud. So any notions of your firm having IP data that is so tech, like so specific and special and that you need to hold close and you can't put it onto the cloud, just remember that all of your personal information is probably all on the cloud. And companies like Salesforce and Slack, we run all of our servers on the cloud as well. So here are seven benefits of switching from on-prem to the cloud. I would also like to say that even though companies like Dropbox are a bigger target for cyber attacks than your local firm, they also have top-end security analysts and specialists on their teams that no architecture firm that I know of could afford to hire. So there is kind of that balance. And being on the cloud has become a lot more secure in the past few years. There's other things that little firms can adopt. So if uh, I think a lot of you have Gmail or you probably have experienced 2FA or two-factor authentication, another thing that firms can look to adopt, especially with a more remote workforce, is single sign-on software, especially if you have a lot of like if you're using Revit Cloud and you have multiple instances where people are logging on to a software, this lets this puts the control of those licenses and the software back into the firm owner's hands. So if for any reason you need to revoke like revoke all of your licenses to a single user, it's very easy to do. So here are some of the things that you might want to look at enabling, including enterprise password management. And then tools. So we talked a little bit at tools at the top of this very quick half hour. So this is what I think architecture firms tend to do, right? We create these workarounds. I worked at one firm where we liked to do this rendering a certain way, but we had to take it through like three different software processes to get it there. And that means every time we brought on a new person to get out the same rendering, we had to take them, we had to teach them the very tedious ways of bringing three different software. It also meant that we had to maintain the licenses for those three different softwares. But anyways, we tend to MacGyver things, especially when we're up running against, especially when we're up running against a deadline. And then we never go back and realize and reevaluate if there was a better way to do it. So this is what we tend to do with tools. And in tech, they call it, there's a term for it. It's literally called technical debt. And it's kind of these built-in processes that you've you've MacGyvered together that you just continue to run, even though it's not the most efficient, but you're actually losing productivity because you haven't taken the time to relook at that process. So when it comes to looking and understanding at what tools do, you know, make sure that you understand their full use. So, you know, like I said, Slack has a video conferencing feature, but we actually use Zoom for video conferencing because it's a better feature for, it's a better user experience for other people that we work with outside the company. And that's another thing. If you invite any clients to use your tool set, make sure that you understand what the client view support is on their side. So it's very different if a client has downloaded the application to their software sometimes, rather than going through like a Chrome browser. So understand the client experience 
too, especially when you are engaging in more tools. And then kind of similar to everything else, make sure that you are constantly looking at your tool set. And the digital headquarters, as we progress, is always going to be a stack of tools. I'm sorry, I don't know any architecture firm that can run on one size fits all. And I don't, monograph is never going to be a Zoom, for instance. So it's always going to be a tool stack. And then the other thing is make sure that everybody uses the correct tools. So here's the create an evaluation strategy around tools. Make sure that you are automating where you can and make sure that everyone from your most junior staff to the firm partner is engaging on the tools. So the final thing that I want to talk to is about being a good hybrid employee. One of the things that I want to stress around remote work is that at least for tech, this is true of technology companies, and I think it's true of knowledge workers in general, that a lot of people have found coming into work more comfortable from a remote work situation. Uh, This is true of people of color, our colors. So if you look at, you know, what you're asking of when you're asking your people to come back from remote work, also understand from a mental health and wellness space what you're committing for to your people or asking of your people. And then these are just some general tactics for a hybrid employee. One thing that I do want to stress here, though, is that if you are a firm partner that's saying, we want to build in more flexibility for all those people that want to be flexible, then you yourself have to be more flexible. Because if you're a firm partner saying we have a very flexible environment, but you're showing up from eight to five, you're essentially modeling behavior to be a partner at your firm. You have to show up regularly from eight to five. So any policies, processes, and operations that you put into place really needs to be adopted by the entire firm. And that includes a move to a digital headquarters, including Teams or Slack or Google or whatever platform you use. I've been talking to a lot of middle managers that are like, you know, if I if I'm on a project with this principal, I have to text them because they're really responsive with text. This partner, you know, they don't like things popping up on their phone, so they want me to email. This partner is really engaged in trying new tools. So, you know, so I can jump on teams with them and have a conversation. It doesn't work. Your knowledge isn't your knowledge of any one project is going to be spread on all of those different platforms. So really make sure that anything that you commit to, you commit to holistically as a firm. So really, this is about your people are your greatest assets, that it is important, even though it's non-billable hours, and I'm so sorry, but it's important that we review our operations, processes, and policies, because ultimately it builds on greater productivity in the end. And you can't do it once and leave it. This is really about how do we continuously improve over time? And then also, how do we build trust and intentionality when it comes to running our firms and being more agile in the future? So this is kind of just a reminder. We are licensed to protect the health, safety, and welfare of the public. That goes for the individuals in our offices as well. And then a hybrid practice is a resilient practice. So Janine has been wonderful. She's my co-host on the podcast Practice Disrupted. Come and visit us over uh, during at the water cooler chats after this. And I can take any questions to Joanne. Thanks. That was great. I have a question. Oh, a few questions here. 
It's a question. Are there any statistics on productivity of hybrid versus traditional firms? So I wouldn't say there's directly statistics. I would say that a lot of knowledge organizations with knowledge workers out there have found that there has been greater productivity through the pandemic, right? And a lot of it is because we've converted all of that time commuting into the office to working, which also could, and Joanne has a video about this, could potentially lead to burnout. So really when we're talking about how do we work going forward, it's about creating greater intentionality with how we work with one another. But overarching, I would say a lot of the tech firms have found, and Slack being one of them, has found greater productivity working in a hybrid environment or even working entirely remote than they did having everyone come in all at once. And that there are organizations out there that have built entirely remote cultures because culture is not purely about events, but it's about how your employees interact with one another. It's about how you identify projects you can you pursue and how you identify the clients you pursue. So I guess the statistics that are out there are what has been proven through the pandemic that firms can be more productive, but there's not been an exact study on that. Yeah, I also think that because architecture firms are so kind of late to the game when it comes to hybrid or remote work that there might not be a lot of statistics on that front yet. Right. But there are a lot of studies out there that show, for instance, you know, a lot of architecture firms are like really interested in the natural collisions that happen. But there are studies that show that no more innovation comes out of those natural collisions because, because how, many, <laughs> how many truly innovative ideas come out of those coffee talks versus if you actually created this culture of innovation and said, we are going to come together to solve a problem intentionally and kind of do that on a regular basis, like one lunch a month, then you can still drive innovation in a more intentional way than having it happen or like how we hope it happens organically, but how it really doesn't happen organically. Yeah, I was actually thinking about it yesterday. I don't know. I think about flexibility and remote work a lot. And <laughs> is flexibility is basically intentionality, like you said, is being intentional on what you're working on at each hour and figuring out how to put your team together. But we have a few more questions. Rob here asks, what's balance between generic and specific ready-made tools, augmenting of those tools or creating bespoke tools in relation to firms' activities or organization culture? Um, I think he's saying like the difference between using ready-made tools out there or your firm making your own tools? Yeah. Okay. If that's truly what he was asking, because <laughs> we are making an assumption here, um, you can come and ask your question again over in the booth live if I'm misinterpreting it. So I would say, you know, architecture firms are always complaining about the lack of time that they don't have, right? So, and tech is moving super quickly right now. So to whatever extent you can adopt things out of the box and you don't kind of make it as bespoke, that means that you'll get to be a part of those regular updates that any platform develops versus if you are developing it in-house on your own, anything that you develop, you have to update yourself. So that, I mean, I guess I think you just have to understand the time commitment around that and if you have the ability to truly do that in-house. Yeah, and it's, it's like 
at that point, you've just become a software company, <laughs> like Monograph is doing. <laughs> yes, and absolutely. I don't think that's what we are in business for as architects. Anyway. Jordana asked, does the hybrid work model equate to shorter work weeks? I think it can't. I mean, well, Monograph is an all remote. That's a, a four-day work week. I think it depends on the intentionality with which you work towards a more flexible workplace model. So Slack, for instance, we were at one-to-one desking pre-COVID. We only had a 5% remote workforce. I would say we are 25% of our workforce has probably opted into going remote. We are considering the rest of our workforce digital first. We are integrating our offices with Salesforce and keeping some of our offices because we just got acquired. The point being is we will always have offices. We expect that our office and this is true pre-pandemic, will be most busy between Tuesday and Thursday. It's a very long answer to, I think this is a bigger question of how you want your firm to operate. If you want your firm to operate on a four-day work week, then you can do that whether or not you're hybrid. I would say being hybrid, being agile, being on the cloud, having a digital HQ, and I know Monograph uses Slack a lot as one of their tools, that enables you to have greater flexibility around enabling the four-day work week by having those tools in place. But one does not necessarily mean the other, if that makes sense. Yeah, I would say the four-day work week, we have four-day work week, is more a culture thing. I don't think it has to relate to remote work or hybrid work. Is your decision as an office, as a culture, do you want to give your employee these option to have a shorter week. And I saw this tweet the other day about if you do go fully remote or have a smaller office as your hybrid work mall, you can save on rent and save on all this cost and give it back to your employees. Maybe they can take a few hours off a week. Maybe they can have a shorter Fridays. If people are on the licensure path, maybe you give them time during the workday to study for their AREs. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you could use those extra hours in a day. Definitely. There was one more question. And this question I see a lot when we talk about. And if you guys have any questions, too, that we don't get to, again, I'll jump to my booth with Janine and we can continue to answer questions or you can DM me directly. Sorry. Go ahead, Joanne. It's okay. What do you recommend for training young team members when you are working remotely or hybrid? So I think a lot of the team members that we are hiring right now have just graduated with like five-year accredited degrees or at least a four-year Bachelor of Art in Architecture. So they are more than capable of managing through a syllabus, right? And if you think about like the training that went into Really, that means like at most they're you're, they're coming together one or two hours a week, but the rest is a week during any college class. They're really doing their own learning and moving things forward. So, I would say think about creating an onboarding class that's or an onboarding process that's akin to a syllabus. Like as they are at your firm longer, what do they need to make sure that they 
need to know how to do. And it can be, you know, your first month might just be knowing the biscuits, knowing where the libraries are, knowing your brand colors, knowing um, where to access your fonts, knowing knowing who to go to to ask any question, should they have a question, and opening that gateway. But then as it goes further along, just kind of think about creating a syllabus for where you would like them to be, and then and then use that as kind of a chart for their first year at your firm. The other interesting thing about an onboarding process is that most employees, so they say like 76% of employees decide in their first three to six months if this is a firm that I'm going to stay at for three to five years or if I'm using this firm as a stepping stone to my next firm. So really build in a meaningful if you build out a meaningful year, but especially those first three to six months, it could mean like longevity and less turnover at your firm as well. Definitely. I remember when I was, you know, first starting in architecture firms, usually they would just give you like a piece of paper, giving you their AutoCAD standards. And <laughs> and that's like all the training you get is an AutoCAD standard. But yeah, and you can also manage expectations, right? Like there might be somebody who wants to go with you to a job site right away, but you're, you might want to say, I need you to be able to do X, Y, and Z before you come with me and have a client interaction. So you can build all of that all into a syllabus. Um, so that also helps manage expectations, but also kind of get people excited about like, okay, if I get these, if I'm able to do these things, that means that I can go into the next step in my career too. We have just one last question and Neil here asks, how many people do you think a hybrid firm can support? Well, I would say that Salesforce is wants to be 100,000 by 2025 and we're at 65,000 right now and we are going to be running hybrid. So hybrid scales immensely. You just have to have the right people process systems in place for it to scale. So unlimited, I would say. I don't know any architecture firm that's over 100,000 right now. So yeah, I don't think we are that big <laughs> for any one of us. Um, but thank you, everyone. That was amazing. That was great conversations. Thank you so much. Yeah. Join me in the booth for a coffee chat or feel free to ping me directly. Um, Janine, my co-host from Practice Disrupted, is also floating around Section Cut. Thanks, all. Hey, it's Chris from Monograph. Thank you so much for joining us here. At Monograph, we're building the number one practice operations platform for small to mid-sized architecture firms. More than 200 practices are using Monograph today to run the business side of architecture. You can start a free trial today or watch a live demo with our CEO, Robert Ewan. Get started at monograph.com. That's monograph.com. Talk to you soon.